Welcome to episode 16 of the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, a musician, writer, and creative mentor, and this is the final episode for season two. From tea ceremonialists to travel writers, electronic music producers, meditation teachers, and more, this season has been jam-packed full of inspiration to support your creative life. And I really hope you've been enjoying these conversations and a huge thanks for listening. I'd really love to hear what's been resonating with you and what you'd like to hear for season three. So please reach out to me on Instagram. It'd also be super supportive if you could leave a five-star review and written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which helps me to share this work with the world. So now on to today's episode, where I've reconnected with a long-lost friend. We met when I was studying music and she was studying fashion in our late teens and early 20s. It's been so beautiful to discover the work she's doing in the world today, supporting and inspiring her clients to share their brand and personal stories in an authentic way. Karina Wilson is the creative force behind Corporate Karina, a brand that embodies a rich tapestry of experiences in the marketing landscape, accumulating over 15 dynamic years. The genesis of Corporate Karina, with a K, can be traced back to an ordinary day in the corporate world where Karina's distinctive and empowering fashion choices attracted curiosity and sparked the inception of this brand. Fueled by the essence of her unique journey and grounded in the unwavering belief in the transformative power of authenticity, Corporate Karina stands as a vibrant tribute to breaking free from the ordinary and embracing one's individuality. If you're someone who's felt overwhelmed and discouraged by social media and promoting your work to your audience, this is the episode for you. Karina takes us through some ways to connect to our authentic story and to share it in a way that feels true to us as creators and that resonates with our audience. Yay, well thank you so much for joining me today, beautiful Karina. It's <laughs> oh, so nice to hear your voice. Yes, you too. So I know we've reconnected recently, um, had a beautiful dinner in Melbourne that you organised with some friends and it was just so divine to have a situation, such an intimate setting with new people that night. Remember yeah. how it was like no one actually knew each other? I know. I, and I, I'm so bad at introducing people sometimes and everyone just sat down and connected straight away. So I kind of just forgot. <laughs> it felt like everyone had known each other for so long. So, and like it's, seeing you again after so long, it felt like it was only yesterday in a really weird way, um, which yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, it was. And it really inspired me. I'm like, oh, I want to do more dinner parties like that where you do just kind of see who's available and bring people together. And, you know, I was recently talking to your friend Jo, like reached out to her, and it's just beautiful how we can be creating connections. I think sometimes people in their 30s are like, oh, it gets harder. But it, it also, with the com- the new, newer confidence we have in our 30s, it can, it can be, I don't know, easier. How do you feel about, like, connection at this age? Oh, I I definitely am way more confident now than I've ever been before in my life. Um, yeah, I think I I love meeting new people, but I also love cultivating like a good quality network of people around me. Um, but nothing makes me happier than bringing people together and um, like seeing friends become friends. And yeah, like Melbourne is good for that. I feel like it's such a friendly city. So I'm always very comfortable everywhere I go. Everyone's so open-minded and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm travelling at the moment in Amsterdam and I feel like this is home. Um, It's kind of similar vibes to Melbourne, but through being here for the last three weeks, I've, you know, met friends of friends and, yeah, I think, you know, I think it just comes down to confidence and feeling comfortable in yourself to connect with different people and being open-minded to it. Mm, For sure. So do you want to give us a little brief overview of how the trip's been so far? Yeah, I mean, I've been away for two and a half months and I, yeah, incredible, mind-blowing. 
European summer. Um, I highly recommend it if you haven't done it. <clears throat> but uh, I'm currently missing out on Melbourne winter, so I, I'm... Is that, is that, is that missing out? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very happy to never see a Melbourne winter again with respect. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, the last couple of months have been amazing. I've been working whilst travelling and seeing, you know, part, parts of Italy that have completely blown my mind, um, in Spain, Portugal, and I have been moving quite a bit. So I've settled into Amsterdam life. Um, with a friend and now I'm off again on Saturday to the south of France so um moving again but yeah it's been it's been a very game-changing trip I feel like I'm very inspired I'm going back to Melbourne with lots of ideas and um also just very lucky to have clients that support me in this remote lifestyle as well so yeah it's been an incredible experience Mm. do you find that your creativity comes to life a lot more when traveling it does annoyingly I find that when I'm at home working from home all the time that's where I get stuck and um yeah I've been doing a lot of you know thinking around that how can I change what my setting looks like at home so I am more inspired on the daily day um but yeah just being in different environments seeing different cultures meeting different people has triggered a lot of inspiration and um yeah, I guess it's like finding that balance, isn't it? It's like I need to be able to achieve this at home as well. I can't just be travelling 24-7. How about yourself? <laughs> You've got house sitting at the moment. So do you yeah. find when you're not in your usual environment? You get inspired? Yeah, I love I love the change up. Yeah, it's, it's something very inspiring about mixing up the environment and I've noticed my environment really affects me. Yeah. And it's also very nostalgic. Like I was at this house I'm at now a couple of months ago and it's funny how memories of that time is coming back and it's interesting. And when, when I'm traveling, it's it's different again because you're constantly moving and there's all this culture shock happening too where this is more settled, like you're just in someone else's home, almost living like in their life, like out watering the beautiful garden today and you just think about oh they do this every couple of days and totally. yeah it's really cool <laughs> yeah, it's a cool lifestyle I love it mm-hmm. so before we talk about like where what you're doing in the world now let's sort of jump back to like when we first met I guess so that was probably I don't know exactly I think it was 15 or 16 years ago wow it didn't make <laughs> so me <long>. old <laughs> I know and at the time I was studying music and you were studying fashion. And what do you remember about those days? <laughs> what are the first kind of thoughts that wow. come to your mind? The first thought that comes to my mind when I think back to that time is just how fun and liberating it was to be. I think I met you when I was like 20, 19 or 20. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like I could be my true authentic self because all of a sudden I was surrounded by, you know, creative like-minded people that either work in fashion or music, um, you know, and artists as well. And, you know, in, in high school, I didn't really have that creative network. So to leave high school and finally meet my people, I suddenly just became, you know, the real Karina. And it was just such a fun time. You know, you know we would hang out after uni and go and see a live gig in Surrey Hills at least three times a week. I feel like back then I was going to gigs at least three times a week. And, yeah, my life was just split between the fashion and music world and it was just I wasn't even making that much money, if not anything, but I was working in such different roles, getting myself involved in different areas because I just wanted to figure out what is it that I want to do. And, um, yeah, from going through that process, I just had the best time you know, styling myself in the most eccentric way, just feeling... Yeah, your clothes were amazing. (laughs) Well, I just just feel like I finally had the permission to wear what I wanted to wear and not worry about what people think because I had people like yourself around me that celebrated that. And, Mm. yeah, so I think back to that time, it was was pure joy, self-expression, and just so excited to, like, start my career and and figure out where, you know, where are my 20s going to lead me? You know, it was just Mm. very, very exciting time. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How did you how do you feel about that time? I loved it. It was just to have that community of people, like you said, just people so um 
committed and invested in what they were doing, but also in having fun, like nothing yes. too serious. <laughs> Off the street and Surrey Hills was a good time during those yeah. years. Yeah, for sure. And King's Cross back then, that yeah. used to be a vibe still. And vibe. yeah, it was lots of like the play hard, work hard sort of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it's funny, like the connections from that time, I still have a lot of people in my life some of my best friends are from that time still. And also now getting to reconnect with a lot of people like yourself, which is beautiful. Yeah. And seeing people still very much like in their creative, like in their creative authentic self, even though it might not look like exactly what they wanted to do in their early twenties, it's become, you know, there's been all these different versions of self that we've sort of come through. And we haven't really spoken about this, um, since you know we've reconnected, but how did you go through that transition out of study into the workforce, and like ha- what happened with the fashion, and what sort, of, how, what's your journey been like from then to now? Yeah, um, it's been very um, incredible. Like thinking back the last, well, I guess yeah, fifteen years, how much I have done. Um, at, at, at an early age, I knew. I'm not a natural academic. I'm very creative. I am analytical, but I'm very motivated when I work on the job. So I knew from an early age that, you know, of course I want to study. I'm always hungry to learn, but a big part of my version of a degree is by getting out there and just doing it. So I had that approach from very early on. Um, When I was studying fashion, I, you know, I wasn't amazing at it. I just wanted to have a good time at that age. I was very more mature than I am now <laughs> and <laughs> just very excited by life and um but again I was a lot better when I was actually on the job so I did a lot of work you know a lot of volunteering um in you know styling working at fashion week um and then on the other side of the spectrum I started getting involved with AIM where you studied and um at that time I was in more admin roles um but then the longer I worked there and got involved more involved I got sorry the more I, you know, met more musicians like yourself. And I started to see this strong connection between the music and fashion world. And so for a certain period of my early 20s, I started experimenting with, you know, how to market musicians, but also how to market designers at the same time. And this is before Mm. fashion film was a thing. Um, But, you know, friends and I would get together on the weekend and do just for free video shoots, photo shoots with musicians and then, you know, source amazing designs from Sydney designers and just Mm -hmm. out of our free time create this amazing content that was kind of killing two birds with one stone in the creative field by promoting two different worlds at at the one time. So that started to make me think about, yeah, the power of marketing and how there's so much more to marketing than just the glossy ads. You know, it's the storytelling. It's the it's the collaboration behind the scenes. And um, my main thing that I love about marketing more than anything is that narrative building, that, you know, mm-hmm. who is the person behind the product? Who is the person behind the, the service? And t- how do we, what, what, what creative do we need to tell that story in the most authentic way? So, yeah, I I guess I started that journey in my early 20s and then um, grew with AIM and got involved in their marketing team. And I actually uh, moved with the company to Melbourne and launched their campus in 2013. Well, I moved in 2013, but we launched in 2014. And then because I was a part of the Sydney campus for a long time, I um, actually moved on from Melbourne after a couple of years because I really wanted to push myself in different areas so at that age, I knew, okay, I definitely want to run my own business. Um, I don't have marketing agency experience, but I think I could either go agency side or I could go and stick to the client side, but just move through different jobs and different industries to build that mm. well-rounded um, knowledge and insight around ma- the marketing world. So that's exactly what mm. I did. I worked in so many different fields since then in you know fashion online education trade travel um yeah like I've, I've put myself into very interesting job roles for that purpose of like challenging myself 
building my character and then, yeah, building that well-rounded knowledge of marketing. And, yeah, so that that's a very high-level recap of, you know, where the journey is. <laughs> but I, I, I do remember at a very young age, I think I was 14 or 15, I wanted to start my own business. And mm-hmm. so I, but I wanted to do it in a way that um, utilised my creativity. So I started, it's so cringy now that I think about it, <laughs> but I made a lot of money at the age of 15 hand-painting T-shirts and selling them to, at the time it was my high school boyfriend and all his friends, um, my brother and all his friends, and they were the most hideous, like you would never, you couldn't pay me to wear them now. <laughs> at the time, for some reason, they were a vibe and I, know, I just made quite a bit of money and it, it, that was the first time I realised actually you can create an income through your creativity and mm. the satisfaction I got from building this little business of mine I was like, there's nothing else at the moment fulfilling me as much as what I'm achieving right now through this business. So that kind of just stayed in the back of my mind for so long. I really, really want to build something of my own one day. So that throughout my 20s was always that, you know, long-term vision was like, I'm going to get there, but it has to happen at a point where I feel like I'm confident enough, I've got enough, you know, experience and knowledge to actually go off on my own and do this for real. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I love like your philosophy around um, education. Like I'm a big looking back at how I did a degree. It was just expected of me. Like I think back then my parents thought that's what you had to do to be employable. I don't know how a music degree makes you employable, <laughs> and I don't think it does. But it's sort of like that was what our parents, like that generation, had in mind. Yeah. Looking back, and if I was to ever, you know, you know, when I'm speaking to younger people, if I was to ever give my two cents, it would be, don't go to uni, like just get into the workforce, mm. like start getting experience because that is where you learn. And I think people come out with these degrees and it doesn't mean anything. And I think working on the job and, and learning through finding mentors throughout jobs. And that's the other thing, like coming from, that's so that's such a beautiful story about you're having your own company at that age and what a success for such a young age as well. I love it. Because a lot of people I think question that can I make money without an employer? And that you sort of had had done that already at such a young age. How did you find working within organizations when you knew how good it felt to do it for yourself? I um love working for other organizations because of the people like that's the main reason why I love it but then where I felt conflicted was that um it's I'm, I find it really challenging when you feel like you can't get done what you want to get done you have a vision yeah. of a brand that you're working on and you can see the potential of a brand and in my undiagnosed ADHD brain I'm always thinking about the next campaign or like what what is what where we can take our storytelling as a, a marketing team and then when you can't achieve that because of the red tape or the long approval processes that's when mm-hmm. I start feeling like oh should I just go off and do this on my own and work for my own clients so yeah so yeah. many moments like that over the last well I guess you know, throughout my 20s where I'd be like okay well if I was working for myself I could just do this you know so I think that was the biggest challenge for me is just not being able to move things through as quickly as mm. I would have liked. But the, in saying yeah. that, there were places that were so agile and quick, fast-paced, and I, I was able to do a lot for them in the time that I was there. So I haven't had that experience everywhere, but um, it's definitely more the corporate places that I've worked in where it, everything is so processed and there's so many different loops you've got to go through. So, yeah, I think that's been mm. the biggest thing for me is just the red tape. Yeah, it can be a bit bit convoluted and it baffles the creative process and the, the natural momentum totally. that can happen when you're into a good thing. And if that idea gets put to the side, like, it often dies because something exactly. else comes up and you're on to the next thing. So I totally get it. So um, how was Corporate Karina born? This is a company that your own and when did you start it and how did it come into form so it was born out of a very 
random mundane moment at a workplace I was at back in 2017, I think, early 2017. Um, This workplace, it was in online education. It was so supportive of like individualism. And, um, you know, when I first started working there, my wardrobe was like black, white and grey and I thought I had to be really corporate. And then I realised that the culture was all about embracing, you know, who you really are and it's all about equality and all of that. So I started to like experiment wearing clothes that I would like to wear if it was up to me, I would actually wear it to an office. And it got a bit ridiculous. It got to the point where I was literally rocking up to work in a sequin suit. And um, (laughs) a former colleague came up to me in the office and was like, I just want to ask, how do you get away with wearing a sequin suit to work? And I didn't even think about it. It just came out naturally. But I said, that's because I'm corporate Karina with a K. I just went, hang on, what did I just say? <laughs> like, what was that? And then I thought about it all day. I'm like, actually, I think this is this is my brand, that when I do start my business, it's corporate Karina because it. I've always been an outcast in, like, very corporate environments, um, being quite eccentric and I do find a lot of humour in how serious and, like, clinical these environments are, you know. I have been in workplaces where people, you can just tell there are certain, not everyone, but certain people are there just to pay the bills and they're not there to live their life. And um, I try really hard in everything I do to genuinely enjoy what I do and, like, bring my true self and show up every day authentically. So... I'm very inspired by the most mundane environments because I want to challenge the norm and I want to challenge what the corporate structure expects from us. So I guess when people know me, they're like, well, you're not a typical corporate staff member. I'm like, I'm not because that's not who I am, but I still perform really well. I'm still a hard worker. And yeah, so that's why moving forward, I was like, whatever I do, it's going to be branded corporate Karina because I want to help other people and brands achieve that level of authenticity um, through working with me, essentially. Mm, I love that. And, yeah, there's this uniformity that happens in society and I guess it just keeps everyone feeling safe sometimes because they just know what to expect, you know. But I just think if I was you know, at a job I didn't like and someone walked in in a sequence suit, that would make my day and it would be <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> just to see someone having a good time. Like we need totally, people that's like what I wanted that. to achieve. Yeah. I want to like lighten up yeah. Um, You did yeah. ask how, like when did I start it, which mm. is an interesting one because I literally chose the worst time to start a business during, was it the second lockdown? Um, and I was working for a company that, just didn't align with my values at the time. I yeah felt very disconnected and um, I was like, well, this is the catalyst. This I had to go mm. through something to finally take that leap. And so, yeah, finally did it and I had no plan. Um, I was definitely living off savings for a, a hot minute, but it worked out so well that I've got such a supportive network that it just, yeah, has grown super organically since that day. And that was, yeah, second lockdown in Sydney. So when was that? 2021? Yeah. Earlier that year, actually, before the second lockdown. So, yeah, been doing it for a couple of wow. years. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, because I remember when I first, I think this is one of the reasons why, like, you just popped up on my social media with this branding, which was so, like, oh, my God, it was so good. I think I remember the phone or there was something that you were doing with you on the phone, but it was very like the old, you know, the old handset sort of thing, like the old pull-out mobile phone sort of thing. 80s mobile. And Yeah, and what you were doing just really grabbed my attention and it was just so fun because it was, it was bringing this idea of like the workplace into and the sort of the corporate style workplace into like seeing the humor behind it as well and <laughs> so tell me how did you sort of develop your own brand because we'll talk in a minute about how you support you know your clients and everything mm. but was super fun developing your own brand story and how did that come to be oh I loved it I just had a moment there thinking about during lockdown 
with not without any clients, being on my parents' balcony, just like because you know I was in Sydney at the time, not in Melbourne, and mm-hmm. building my mood board. And I knew from the start I wanted it to be an '80s inspired brand because um, mm-hmm. I I really resonate with that time, and mm-hmm. I I love the styling, the the colors, the just how eccentric that time was as a society. So I knew that was the direction I wanted to take and thinking, going back to like that mundane corporate environment, how do we turn that around, make it super colourful and 80s and contrasting what it actually does feel like to be in those environments sometimes. So that was the direction I took. And I'm very lucky that my best friend, who is an incredible graphic designer, who you've met, um, Krista, Mm -hmm. just nailed the logo for me straight away. I said, look, this is the mood board. Can you, what, what can you do for me? And as soon as she shared it with me, I was like, this is it. And um, that kind of, yeah, then everything else just happened organically after that. Did a photo shoot with an incredible photographer in Melbourne and um, spray painted an old 80s phone in neon pink, got my big pink jacket on. And it was such a fun shoot. I basically just said, I'm just going to swing my hair around and do anything. Don't worry about directing me. We'll just let this happen organically. And yeah, it all worked out really well. So that was definitely fun putting all that together. Um, and it just felt like for the first time I was building something that was so authentic to me because like every mm-hmm. colour palette, um, everything about it is just very me. So, yeah, it feels mm-hmm. good. Such a great <clears throat> Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's so, it's so much fun. That's what I love about it. There's so much joy mm-hmm. in it and you can really see that you enjoy it. And that's what I love about good marketing is that it doesn't feel like you're being marketed to in any way. It's a form of creative expression. It's a form of someone's personal artistry. And I think we get really mixed up sometimes with words like sales and marketing where people start to to get disconnected from it because of the concept that comes to mind, like the really old school tacky ways of doing that. But really, if it's done well and if it's done true for you, it should feel like sharing and it should feel like expression and you're connecting with people who it resonates with. You're not trying to impress people that don't get it. It is what it is. And then the right people are magnetized to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess um, if if you have any online presence at all, you are essentially a publishing platform. And that Mm. is really hard for people to and you know agree to because they're like I'm not a publisher but we're all content creators so Mm. yeah you're right in that traditional marketing is definitely out the door in our old school sense of you know what traditional marketing looks like but now we're all storytellers so it is really challenging and there's no like right or wrong answer around what is that perfect mix of being um authentically you telling your story but then how do you turn that into a revenue model? Like it is really, really tricky to do it in a way that is authentic and that doesn't turn your audience off. Um, mm. So I think nailing the art of that comes down to like, you know, testing what works for mm. you. Um, I don't think any brand in this world or any personal brand, personality or musician, whoever you are, don't think anyone has that answer straight away. It's like and it's an evolving thing but um yeah, I definitely think as long as you're putting out there what is true to you, that's that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people, because um, I think a lot of people often want to delegate marketing. They, they just don't feel comfortable expressing themselves in that way. Why do you think that is? I think people, um, well, first of all, there's that anxiety around, oh, I, I'm not a marketer. so. I don't know what I'm doing. That That's a genuine concern for a lot of business owners, um, which is why you, you pay people to do it, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But then there's when it comes to social media, um, a lot of business owners, again, not everyone, love to just hand the keys over to someone and not have to get involved. And be like, I don't want to put my face on a screen. I don't want people to know who I am. I just want you to market my product or service, and that's it. And I think... That, I think that there's definitely certain people out there that probably don't come off naturally on screen, but I'm a huge advocate for getting, you know, obviously I, I manage clients, so I'm they hand the keys over to me, 
But any client that works with me knows that I'm a huge advocate for promoting personal brands and aligning their personal brand with the company they work for, the business they're building, because there's so much power in that. And consumers have changed so much. We're not interested in being sold to, like what you were talking about just before. We want to know who is behind this brand. We want to know the whole narrative. And just seeing the difference in performance across my clients in, you know, because I've definitely gone through phases with certain clients where we're just ticking boxes. We're like, okay, we don't have the right content right now, but we're going to, you know, get some beautiful designs together and we'll start promoting your products or your service. And then eventually we're going to phase into this new strategy where we start bringing you to camera and just Mm -hmm. seeing the difference and the evolution of a brand when you go from, you know, your typically designed graphic assets to then featuring the person behind the brand. There is so much proof in what I've done with my clients that it it is the way to go because it not only are you building a tighter connection with your audience and building trust, you're also getting a higher return on investment because you're generating more outreach through social media. And obviously we're just focusing on social right now. Um, And that obviously over time will generate more income. So yeah, that's, I understand the anxiety for for business owners, why they they want to just hand it over to everyone, but it's definitely not how I work as a marketing manager. I always challenge my Mm. clients to get involved to some extent, obviously being realistic to what they can do with everything else they've got Mm. going on. But yeah, definitely the biggest call out for, you know, anyone listening that's running a business and thinking about engaging with a marketing service, don't shy away from getting involved and putting yourself in front of the Mm. camera because it will, you will see the gains. Mm. And I think for people, when we're talking business as well, like just to point out that as an artist or a creative, if you're offering something, it's still could be labelled a business yeah. <laughs> because your consumer is your audience exactly. and you're having to engage in that way. And it might not be the same. You might not see the exchange in the same way as you would a traditional um, definition of a business, but it's still essentially a business. And I think a lot oh. of artists and creatives have this really icky relationship around it being a business yeah. because it's like, oh, but that's not what this is about because it's so personal. It becomes even harder and I think the hiding can happen even more but it's the same thing if it, and we also need to think of business owners as artists yeah <laughs> it, it, it goes both ways like as a business owner you are passionate so so passionate about what you have to offer the world you still are offering something and you are an artist in what you offer so it kind of goes hand in hand <laughs> oh no and, I, and exactly it doesn't matter who we're talking about if you have yeah. a brand of some sort it's the mm. same rule applies across the board. It, it That authentic personal branding, it's working for all industries, all businesses. And mm. um, yeah, it's interesting. I think because my mindset is quite salesy, like even though I am a creative and like, look, I'm an artist, I paint and I, I could get that um, trigger of like, oh, this isn't a business. This is like my art. You know? <laughs> but the way that I think, because I do this every day is I'm always thinking about opportunities. So, you know, mm. I've worked with musicians before, I'm I'm seeing that again those opportunities and but also sensitive to the fact that this is personal creative work, but essentially that's what you're trying to build, right? Over time, you want to um, get your music out there, build that community mm-hmm. around your music, and to do that, you've got to get yourself out there and build that connection with your audience because you're not just selling music; you're selling a whole narrative, a whole culture around mm-hmm. who you are, um, which mm-hmm. is the something I love about musicians in social media is getting to know what inspires them outside of their music. And uh, Mm. yeah, I, I've got a few artists that I follow that I'm like, I feel like I follow them more just as much for their styling or um, seeing where they live as well as, you know, listening to their music. So yeah. Mm, Yeah. I love that. And I think as well, like the way I've sort of reframed social media for me is to see it as like an online gallery or something. So it's like if you were to walk into my, if I had a a space or a studio that was a representation of my artistry, I'd want my Instagram page to evoke that sense of environment. And when I sort of 
connected to it in that way, it, it became a lot more meaningful and it was a place for me to express. And I think, yeah, like there's, let's talk about social media for a second because I think I've been having a lot of conversations with different people lately, whether they, they're small business owners, artists, creatives, and there's this sense of I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. But they're still doing something. like that. And that's the thing. Often it's like, well, you are you're still posting, you do have an idea, but there's this kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Like a disempowerment almost of not being quite sure how to handle this beast of a thing that, and again, we we feel separate from it. Like, oh, I don't really understand the algorithm. There's all this idea of like, I don't really get how to do things right or that there is a right way and what times do I need to post? And we sort of, can then either go too hard on that and yeah. try to be ticking all these boxes or giving up and just doing whatever, like posting very randomly probably at a time or a post that might not be that helpful. So talk us through a little bit. I know it's a huge topic, but where would you like to start on, I guess, the topic of social media when you're working with your clients? Yeah, great. Do you want me to focus specifically on musicians or more broadly I think to talk more broadly yeah. because the people listening will be um, creative and business owners. All a mixed yeah. bag. I love it. Yeah. Um, or so, people working within companies as well. Which yeah, is, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have worked with quite a few internal marketers recently um, and it's exactly the same pain points. So, I mean, this is going to sound really basic and quite um, obvious, but surprisingly a lot of people don't follow this rule, is you have to work on your goals. You have to understand what you're trying to achieve. doesn't matter who you are, what business you're running, that is the number one rule because I've worked with so many brands before where they don't know what they're working towards and you can just tell from how they use social media and a lot of brands feel like just by posting something, they're ticking a box, they're achieving something. And not, not to say they're not achieving anything by posting, but when you don't have that overarching goal, that's what can make you feel overwhelmed because you're essentially just posting for the sake of posting without understanding, okay, what what's next and what am I actually driving? So once you identify your goals, I always say have at least three goals. And I'm not just talking about social media. I mean business goals. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you're a product, if you're selling a product, how many sales do you want to make within the next year to three years? And then, you know, having three overarching business goals and then what you can do off the back of that is start getting a bit more granular and breaking it up into activities. So for social media, for example, in the organic space, um, you know, looking at those metrics around impressions, views. um, I know that we still talk about followers and following is important. I treat with my clients, I treat following as a bit of a secondary objective uh, because it's got to be quality over quantity for me. That's my, my biggest focus and making sure that the content we're putting out there is driving the goal. So having a few social media metrics and then figuring out off the back of that, what needs to be, what deliverables do you need to put out there to achieve those metrics? So, so can I stop you for one second? Yeah. Maybe we could also like use an example. So let's say someone was about to release Let's talk art world. So let's say they're about to release a single. Yeah. What would some examples around what you've just said work with that? Yeah, great. So from an, I think with when you're releasing a single, you want to make sure you have an organic and a paid strategy, um, mm-hmm. not just doing one or the other because, again, they don't work in silos. That The performance you'll see in social media um, across paid and organic will only be at its optimum if you've got both going at the same time. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, From an organic perspective, it's about utilising the placements that work really well. So at the moment, we know that Instagram Reels and TikTok is the go-to, especially for musicians, because it's a really good way to, um, I guess, share snippets of your single upcoming release without giving too much away, but it's a really engaging way of capturing new audiences through your music, but then also Mm -hmm. um, being able to talk to your audience and share um, what like the behind the scenes of that single or like anything else you want to sh- share around that I think will be mm. done more authentically through a video. So I think for musicians focusing on video placements like those two, 
and then making sure that you plan your content in advance so that you've got enough to ramp up to that single release date and utilizing placements like Instagram story as well, because that will actually keep your current audience engaged enough. And you can do, obviously there's so many different ways you can build up momentum, but you can do like a countdown to the release date. Um, You can ask, you can get your audience to ask you questions about the single. There's that next level engagement that I think we can't forget because just putting out content is not going to build that connection. So making sure you've got the content planned out for your reels or your TikToks, but then also having a plan around how you're going to engage with your community on a deeper level through Instagram story. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's focusing on organic. And then you've got, if you're in a position to do a little bit of paid advertising, there are ways that you can leverage off your organic as well. So um, with organic posts that do really well, there is the ability to boost them or sponsor them through the channel, which means that you'll get more exposure with a similar audience who have already engaged with that post. Now that's completely separate to running a ad campaign. Um, mm-hmm. An ad campaign is managed in the meta verse <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and a separate platform. And from a pay perspective, you could test some of the content you're doing in organic, but you really want to focus on driving action. So that's all about testing, you know, different audiences. So I always say have a bit of a multiple funnel running at the one, the one time. So making sure that you're always pushing for new audiences, but then at the same time re-engaging with your known fans or people that look like your fans. So having that funnel approach in paid um, and then, yeah, just making sure that organic is running consistently at the same time. But, yeah, but sorry, just going back to content for one second through paid, I think what's working really well at the moment is bringing some of that organic content in there. You know, when digital marketing first launched in social media, it was very salesy. It was very, you know, um, take this action now. But now it's more about the storytelling again. So for musicians... Is that what you mean by organic? Sorry, Central. When you say organic, is that what you mean? Yeah. So organic is your um, organic social media presence. So your Instagram account, um, or your TikTok account. So all the activity that you put out there that has no money behind it is considered organic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. In the paid space, I'm talking about the ads that you run through Meta um, or there is another type of sponsoring a post, which is another type of ad. Um, for musicians that have a smaller budget, I would say focus on just sponsoring what's working well in organic Um, But if you have, let's say, I'm going to make it up at least 500 to spend on ads per month, um, that's when I would say look at doing a campaign because in an ad campaign, I think there's like over 18 to 20 different ad placements now. So you have more digital real estate compared to just sponsoring, you know, an organic post. And Mm. the dynamic targeting is incredible now. Um, Yes, sure, there's been a few changes with iOS updates and all of that, but it seems that at the moment Meta is getting more intelligent with their technology and being able to pick up audiences for you. Um, they've just launched some updates recently promising advertisers that it is going to um, drive higher return on ad spend. Um, I'm still yet to see that at the moment. I but- think that's the big question. It's like I think for a lot of people there's this sense of what am I actually getting from this and with all this work that goes in, like, and I think that's what you were touching on earlier, like the strategy and the why is so yeah. important, isn't it? Because it's like there's all of the the techniques that you're explaining so beautifully. And I think this is also what people are so desperate for. It's like, what do I do to yeah. build an audience? But you also need to understand, like, what are some of the, the results that you see when people are putting these, um, you know, techniques into place that come back around and how are your clients connecting to that? Yeah, so um, the strategy is definitely what carves out the activity. So, like, mm-hmm. I guess I, I'll say, look, this is what we're going to do off the back of what we're trying to achieve. And through, you know, weekly or monthly reporting, um, that's where we can, you know, regroup and go, okay, is what we're doing working? Um, my model, my I call it my agile model that I learned from a workplace I used to be at, is I always sum it up with what's working well, what could be improved for next time, and then any other recommendations. So really simple method, 
to go, all right, let's quickly have a look at the data. Um, we know that this video has performed the best this week. Let's put more ad spend behind that one. Um, let's dial back on this type of organic posting on Instagram because no one's engaging with that. So the way that I check in with my clients and, you know, build that trust and ensure that we're on the right path is through um, the reporting, but also having that, you know, we, I try and keep my whips to 15 minutes. It doesn't happen all the time, mm. but it is really important <laughs> that you have that ongoing connect with them so that they know that, you know, we're on the right path and doing what we're supposed to be doing in this space. But there's, there's never an end to this, you know, like you could nail it one week through certain content types, but then it could completely drop the next week. So I feel like that's happening more and more in this space now that because it is so competitive, you really need to be on top of it every week. Um, when you're running ads, especially with organic, you should be looking at it every day. Um, mm. And with the reporting rhythm, I would say at minimum to a monthly report. If you're in a position to do mm. weekly reporting, that is also beneficial, especially if you're working with yeah. Yeah, because I think what I'm hearing as well is that I think people are spe- they're investing so much into mm. their social media and there's so much, and I hear this from so many people, it's like I'm putting so much work into my Instagram and I prefer to be spending that on my business or in my music or in my creativity and that's why it's so important that what what they're investing in is there is a return, it's working rather than it being just throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping something sticks because of that investment. And I think what you're touching on is so important that we start to come to terms with the fact that this is a process and this is another hat that needs to be worn. And whether that's something that you personally love to do, like I know some people love working in this space and love working on the data or whether it's, you know, you know, hiring and collaborating with, with people. I think it's, it's so important what you're touching on because it needs for that investment there needs to be the return that we feel that I'm actually getting something out of this because I think that's what I often get the sense of that people are giving and giving and giving to something on social media and they don't feel like they're getting the return and that return could look like I'm not just talking sales I'm talking like connection with audiences or when you are releasing something, seeing the response being bigger, really feeling that progress as your career develops. That's right. I think it's like for musicians especially, I think we're still going through a bit of a period where I say we like I'm a musician. Musicians are still going through this period where they're they're trying to accept that they do have to do all this social media work, but it's a bit of a mindset thing. Um, Yeah. I do think the way that we consume music is so different now, obviously because Mm. a lot of it is because of social media. And I think we shouldn't be afraid of that. It's about, okay, what, what, how are we consuming it and how do I become a part of that? And, Mm. but whilst maintaining your authentic true self and putting out your true narrative. And I think social media is that vehicle where you can put out your true story and really lean into how consumers are, you know, whether it's through, I'm not, I don't want to bring up the obvious, but you know, obviously TikTok dances are a big thing, but it's not just the dance routines. It's also your raw story. What is the story behind this song? Um, and finding a way to represent that either through TikTok or Instagram or both and testing that. Because once, once something goes really well, sometimes you can stick to that theme over and over again for a long period of time. Um, not to go against what I was just saying about, you know, checking in on what works and what doesn't work, but you, some accounts get away with literally doing the same thing over and over. Um, and it's just testing that and figuring out what that what is that niche for you. Um, for my account, I went viral um, on a video a couple of months back and it's up to over 7.7 million views on Instagram. Wow. Really. And it isn't featuring me. So I'm not, you know, as exciting as it was at the time, I was like, this account actually does go against a lot of what I'm saying because it's all curating 80s content. I love looking through old 80s advertisements and music videos and all of that. And I just, 
started sharing it just to test what would happen. So since that has worked really well, I've kept the same format ever since that, what, two months ago. Um, like I grew from 150 to 20,000 followers in a couple of months. And so I know that's working for me right now, but I am at that phase where I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? And what, how can I start mm-hmm. embedding my brand, my personal brand more into this? So it's not just, I'm not just hiding behind the lens of an 80s ad anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, and that, can that, I ask a question? Sorry. Yeah, no, um, I was just going to ask a question about that. So when something goes viral like that, how does that um, change your business? Like, did you see, because there's, you know, something it's really popular because people enjoy it, but then is it translating into um, people reaching out for, to work with you? Like, do you see that or is it more, you know, people are now watching your content more? Like, how does it actually translate when something goes viral? Really good question. And it's really interesting to see that um, I have had a few marketing inquiries, but it, the inquiries I'm getting at the moment are definitely more about content collaborations. Um, and I haven't engaged in anything yet because I'm just, I'm still figuring out what that looks like for me. Um, so this unexpected turn of my account has now influenced a new direction for the business. I will still maintain my marketing focus. That's a huge part of you know who I am and what I do, but I'm going to start diversifying what I offer and you know, expand what it means to be authentic underneath the, the umbrella of corporate Karina. Um, and I'm working on that plan at the moment. And I'm hoping mm-hmm. um, I can help others, you know, celebrate who they really are. And where that 80s energy comes in is because that time, again, as I said before, was all about expressing yourself unapologetically and showing up. I'm not saying everyone back then was like that, but on a higher level, when you look back to that time, people were just wearing whatever they wanted to wear. They were listening to the best music, some some questionable music, but like it was just such a fun, expressive time. So I'm seeing through my account that people are reminiscing on that time and they're really enjoying it. And I almost feel like there's a sense of um, my audience missing that time or wanting to reconnect back to that time and and maybe express themselves like that again. And um, there's also the notion of like, obviously I'm sharing content before social media came in, before the screens came in. So it's a bit nostalgic, Um, but it has definitely, just the response I'm getting has inspired me to take this business to a new direction. Um, And I'm also hoping I'm working on a plan to be able to rally behind a minority group or a charity and making sure that this is, a brand that is for everyone. It's not going mm-hmm. to alienate. Um, I know there's a lot of privilege behind being in a position to go, you know, what what should I be doing with my life? That's not, not everyone's in that position. So I am also mm-hmm. trying to figure out how can I build this brand in a way that's going to help all different groups of people in different positions. So yeah, not quite there yet, but I'm almost getting there. So watch this space. <laughs> I love that. It's so beautiful. And I think that's a really good point and something really interesting just to touch on is how the feedback that happens between the audience and um, the producer, the publisher, however we want to put it, the business. And, um, you know, it can really start to um, change the direction of where we're going because, and, and so it should in some ways. Like I think a lot of, you know, the narrative around creative and artists is that, you know, just ignore the audience. And I think <laughs> to the point where it influences you to water down your work, sure. But in terms of, you know, you're expressing yourself and people are really enjoying this particular thing, like why not really go with the flow of that rather yep. than fight against it? And why not really engage with that community through that avenue. And that's what you're saying too with this content testing. It's like if sharing a particular type of um, content allows your fans or your audience or your consumers to connect with you in a really heartfelt way and are reaching out to be in conversations, like why wouldn't we want more of that? 
Definitely. Well, it's it, you could consider it a part of your market research as a business as well mm. uh, because, you know, we should be doing that all the time. We should be testing and learning from the people that we're, you know, trying to connect with. Um, mm. Brands that don't acknowledge or ignore their community, you can kind of tell because they're kind of off on their own tangent. I, our audience is the most important part of building a business where mm. we're sharing something with them that we think they will benefit from or connect to. So, mm. yeah, I, I do love that organic journey of going, okay, there's the, I'm taking the business in this direction, but actually now I'm going to go this way because I know that this is what my audience wants and they're, they're craving mm. Um they want to feel like this. So how can I help my business make them feel like this? And mm-hmm. I think subconsciously for a long time, I knew I could sense like just from my social network or connecting with different creatives, that there is a sense of like people just want to get out of the norm and people want to be able to express themselves. And it is happening. There's a lot of subcultures like in Melbourne, for example, that are, you know, really good at celebrating all genders, all backgrounds and, um, that's why I love living there because it is so diverse. But I mm. don't think it's happening enough on a larger scale. Like when you go back to the mm. corporate environment, for example, um, it there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to harness a, a community of people that are that feel comfortable to be themselves. Um, and then on the flip side, it's on the, on an individual level, it's like making sure, yeah, that you're doing the work that that is authentic to you. So mm-hmm. it's it's a work in progress, but um, I'm excited for the next phase and I'm just going to continually listen to my audience and um, just keep getting inspired. Who knows what the next phase looks like, really. Yeah, beautiful. And that's exciting, isn't it? Because it is. It's fun. We don't, we don't want it to be predictable. We, we want to be yeah. surprised by life and let the magic in and just do, do you, do you find- enjoy the mystery. With your podcast, for example, you, um, you know, because obviously it's quite an organic conversation, the way that you mm. format these sessions, do you find when it comes to your channels that you are inspired as well? The next, you know, what you're going to focus on next season based on the response? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I feel that it's tricky as well because I'm still building my audience. So yeah. I'm in a phase where I'm sort of producing work and I'm still finding where to place it so I've got my current audience and I think the really important thing for me at the moment is to make the most of the people connecting with it and yeah. never to dismiss who is connecting with it and even though sometimes I'm like thinking of the people who reach out to me the most I'm like is this relevant to them I'm like well they might not be my target audience in quotation yeah. marks and I've had friends say to me oh I don't know if this, like, what's your target audience and I'm like well it's for everyone like it's it's not exclusive it's not like and I think a lot of people get held up in the word artist and creative and don't identify as that but really we're all creative um but I think yeah but I think it is like I I, for me it's very much an expression of where I'm at but that where I'm at is always like my environment I see it's that reflected back to me in many ways and often the people (laughs) around we're going through similar things so for example, this conversation that we're having today was very much inspired by having a lot of people just really sensing that they need to be more engaging in the marketing side of what they're doing and that it's no longer just I can create and put it out into the world. And also, we don't often have the budget in the early stages to go and employ these wonderful agencies like further down the track, but learning how to, yeah, empower ourselves in, in that. And I think um we'll probably have to wrap it up in a sec but one more question I'd love to ask is if you could give like one piece of advice to people around marketing and and how to sort of approach that and what they the the number one thing they should be doing (laughs) could you answer that question yeah I mean I don't want to repeat myself I'm gonna can I say two things yes you can (laughs) what are you trying to achieve figure that out What's the long-term goal? And the second one is get in front of the camera. Don't hide away. <laughs> so we've, we've spoken about both things to an extent, but that is so important because 
don't hide behind your music, don't hide behind your product, don't hide behind your service. We are all storytellers. So tell your story authentically and build that connection with your audience because you will see the gains. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to talk on before we finish up? I have spoken for way too long on your podcast. So <laughs> no, you haven't. This is the perfect timing. We're like, we're good. We're good to go. Well, thank you again. Thank you that was a beautiful, well. beautiful conversation. And thank you so much for asking me. Thanks so much for listening. And you can find out more about corporate Karina and creative wellbeing in the show notes. Season three of Creative Wellbeing will return in 2024 with an incredible lineup of guests. And in the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Jess underscore Fitzgibbon, where I will continue to offer creative inspiration through my own journey.